0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Amen. Give it up for the worship team, everyone. Yes. So guys, again, welcome. It is 4th of July weekend, and uh, I'm, I'm surprised not everyone is, maybe we should just have a service on a boat or a cabin, because I know a lot of people, I'm learning the culture, a lot of people go north, they go in a, into a tent, they go into a cabin, they go on a boat, and uh, that's a little different, because in southern Indiana, all you had was the dirty Ohio River. That's it. So it's, and no one wanted to go in that, unless you wanted to grow a third arm. And so, uh, man, we're so happy you're here. For those joining online, thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you again uh, for being committed, uh, for being generous. And, and so we're going to jump in. This is actually our last message in our series, Family, Why Bother? And it's been so, so good talking about the family, all the way from the beginning Uh, with Adam and Eve and the distinction of male and female and marriage and how that developed all the way to where we are today. And so before we jump in any further, I want to share a story but ask a question before I do that. Have you ever discovered a restaurant that far exceeded your expectation when you first tried it out? You know, you just see this restaurant, and you're like, man, that looks shady. And then you're like, oh, it's not too bad, right? So uh, my family's actually in town. Uh, if you want to stick around, they'll be here at the, the next service. But I was able to go to California and, and hang out with my sister, and we were looking for a restaurant in Chinatown. And, and obviously, I'm, I'm, I don't go to Chinatown too often. And so when we went to this restaurant, it was tiny. Um, it was, it was kind of scary on the outside. I'm not trying to be rude um, or overly dramatic, but it had no indication that it was worth a try. Okay? Uh, you looked around, and uh, landscaping wasn't done. You know, you, it just needed some fresh paint. Uh, it was only a couple little tables, and you go in there, and the guy is our, is our, uh, our hostess, he's our cook. He is our 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 waiter or cashier. I mean, he's everything, right? It's one guy. And uh and so we're in there and he's like no card, only cash, right? So we're there and we're like, okay, you know, what cash do we have? We know I got a couple buttons and a couple pennies and dollars. I'm just throwing it on the table. It's like I got shook out uh, during my middle school years. And uh, so here I am, and I'm in this restaurant, and it has, again, no indication outwardly that it's worth anything. And when I go on the inside, it doesn't have any indication that it's worth anything inwardly either. It was terrifying. And so uh, we go in there, and my sister's like, let's just try it out. They have these options. It looks good. And so we try it. Out. Whew. It was good. <laughs> Authentic Chinese food. They had these like pre like things with meat on the inside and like this like kind of beef stew and the noodles, the pad thai. I, oh, I still dream about it. You know, I wake up just like, please, noodles. Um, and um and, and we, we sat there and we were like, oh, this is So good. This is delicious. And and so I think about that. And uh, something that on the outside looked a little chaotic, on the inside it was a lot better than we thought. And sometimes I think our families are like that. Like, ooh, (laughs) that family looks a little messed up. You know, if we go through our families and, and we look on the outside and we say all the things we've been through, and all the struggles we've navigated through, and, and, and all the drama. It, it looks a little dysfunctional, right? Just, just a little bit, outwardly. But but when you get into the heart of your family, you realize that we're all a bit chaotic. <laughs> we're all little, at times, dysfunctional, un- irrational, and we all have hard times, And so when we look at the story of Genesis and the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Cain and Abel and the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I mean, we're going to have dysfunction, but at the heart of family, of of the broken circumstance or even disastrous seasons or or drama or or misery, we, we find hope. We truly find hope. And even in the story that, that, that Christ does in our families and, and did in these families, he never gave up on them. As jacked up as they are, they were still the family that God used for redemption. Think about that. All the way from Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel And Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as messed up as they are, God still said, this is the family in which my promise is going to come. And so if he was still able to use that family, doesn't that mean he's going to use ours? Doesn't that mean that as messed up and rebellious as we can be at, at times, despite our tendencies to stray from his design... He will be faithful to his promises. And so again, if you've been around the past month, you've learned a lot about this dysfunction. And and here's the reality. Most of the time, it was because of them. They self-sabotaged. They self-destructed. It wasn't because of God. It was because of them. Because they made decisions, and and there was consequence, but God still used them. And so often we think if we self-sabotage, or we self-destruct, or we sin, that we're done. We're cast aside. We can't be used anymore. And that's just not the truth. then then we would not have any worship or or definitely not a preacher, you know. We wouldn't be able to be a church because we all self-sabotage at seasons, we all self-destruct at seasons, and we all at times battle with sin. And so in this story that we're going to learn today, our last story uh, in this series, the story of Joseph, uh, this is no different. And this family, there's no exception to them, and you listen from the beginning, it's a little messy. So if you want to turn with me, we're going to start off in Genesis 37, and much like the last couple weeks, there's just so many chapters to cover. Uh, we're going to be bouncing around, but there's a lot of great content in here. So we're going to be reading in Genesis chapter 37, and we're going to be reading, starting off with the first Four verses. So let's go ahead and jump into that. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being seventeen years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a, brought bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Because he was the son of his old age, and he made a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully about him. So what we see here to begin this story, it doesn't start well. And we see this, that this family has a very chaotic condition. So so we have this family here. And Jacob, God has named him now Israel, and the family has a chaotic condition. And by the time Joseph was 17, he he had seen enough of ugly in this family, right? Early on, he had already witnessed wildly suspicious uncle, a dad with two wives, and some vengeful siblings, and so here we have a 17-year-old. Do we have any 17-year-old in this room today? Do we have anyone that's 17? All right. Do we have any teenagers? Loreno, are you still a teenager? No? Okay. Uh, so so here's the deal. We got a teenager here. And Loreno, he pours into our teens. He invests in them. And so we got uh, uh, someone who's really close to about that graduation age. And, and we see here that in this chaotic family they are defined by three characteristics, and that is favoritism, hatred, and jealousy. So they have favoritism, they have hatred, and jealousy. And we see in the story that, that Jacob he loved they didn't even shy away from it usually parents are like oh I, I love my kids all the same but then some of the kids are like i know you love her more you know and we have those little suspicions right and so here they say it outright he loved his son joseph more than his other sons why because this was his son that was given to him at an old age From his wife that he loved most. And the brothers saw it. And they were probably much older than him. Previous chapters suggest that they were well into adulthood. And and they were mad. And it even led to hatred and jealousy. Let me throw a picture up here really quick for you guys. This is a picture of my dog, uh, Rusty. Okay, this is our little cute cavapoo. Oh, he's so cute. Okay, so, um, and here's Charlie choking him, which is a normal daily occurrence. And so I'm putting this up here for you to see. Because um, at the count of three, let's all say Oh, one, two, three. One, two, three. We know that's what you're feeling, right? All <laughs> right, This little thing looks cute. He looks adorable, and he is snuggly, and he's sweet, and he likes to wrestle, and he's clumsy. But let's not get it twisted. He poops everywhere in our house, okay? He does. He looks adorable, but I want to punt that critter once a day, all right? Please don't hate me. (laughs) And here's the thing, right? Joseph was the little cute and cuddly, the, the son of his old age. And, and it's, like, it's like no one sees the big dog and like, oh, look how cute he is. They're like, oh, that's a beautiful dog. But if a puppy comes around, man, I've never got more attention from anything other than this puppy walking around. and Everyone loves him. I'll bring him to the office. Everyone will go crazy because he's cute, he's cuddly, he's tiny. And that's kind of what Joseph was to, to Jacob. And so he showed him favoritism. I love how Alistair Begg says it. He says, even if you have a beautiful dog that you've had for a long time when you're walking down the street and someone crosses your path with a little puppy on their leash, what do you do? Oh, sweet puppy. He was the sweet puppy. He was the one who was shown that extra love. And and the brothers saw it and, and they hated it. And they hated him. And get this, he was a snitch. So let's make it a little better. You know, snitches get stitches, right? Right? That is, I mean, I don't care who you are. Snitches get stitches. And so the thing is, he wasn't just the favorite. He didn't just get this beautiful coat. He was a rat. We all have family members who are the snitches. We know who they are. I got my kid. He's not in here right now. Milo's the snitch, okay? If I need the truth, I go to Milo. But, but here's the thing, he even ratted them out. He would give bad reports. I mean, Scripture is so clear in this. He would go out to the field, and he would give them bad reports to their dad. So what does that mean? You think dad was like, okay, whatever. No, he probably was pretty upset with them. Well, wh- wh- how would you hear this, dad? Uh, Joseph. They hated him even more. And so here, he has his son in his old age, and he gets to go you know, to Ace Hardware with him. He gets to watch the Tigers lose 100 games with him, and, and he gets to enjoy him. And then he gives them this special gift of favoritism and, and this coat of many colors. And you think about the normal layman, working man, and, and they had a coat mainly probably of wool. And, and then it had no colors. And usually when you had a robe of many colors, it, it signified royalty. It, it signified value. It, it signified leadership. So now the youngest... Has this image of leadership, and then already in this family, you know it's a little messed up because his oldest son, who, who should be the one who should be, you know, the one of the promise, the, the leader, the next one given that mantle, in, in Genesis 35, you go and read, he messed that up. And so we got drama in this family and, and Reuben he kind of uh, made himself out to not a good dude in that chapter and, and so this is all indicating that Joseph is the one of privilege and leadership and he's a snitch and he's the youngest and this is ancient you know Israel and 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 this is a recipe for disaster. And and maybe it goes without saying that Jacob was very reckless. In showing favoritism. I mean, it all goes back to him as a leader. You think he would learn, right? Like his dad showed favoritism to Esau, and his mom showed favoritism to him. You think he would have learned his lesson, but he didn't. In this moment, he was showing favoritism to his youngest child. You know, all children, they're, they're a gift from the Lord. All children. And some of you, you, you might not have kids, you might have nieces and nephews or siblings, but all children are a gift from the Lord. We need to treasure children, treasure our children, treasure their unique abilities and personalities, their needs. And yes, some kids, they're going to jive more with us in our personality. Yeah, and maybe some kids, they will jive less with us, Right? Like some of the kids, and, and I know we got some parents here, maybe you're this like, man, I connect with them. Or maybe they're too much like me. That's why we don't connect. And, and so we're going to have that. But they all have their own unique personalities, abilities, needs. And, and I believe we're supposed to cherish them, to love them, and, and to constantly affirm them that God loves them and that we love them. I've once heard it said, for every one Uh, criticism or constructive criticism, we need to give 10 words of affirmation. That's tough. That's really tough. We need to affirm and speak into our kids and be their cheerleaders. And and we need to not be favorites or not show favoritism. And, And so we see here that he shows favoritism and that leads into hatred. You know, that favoritism indicated that hatred was... What was happening between the brothers and Joseph, it says they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Again, bad reports. That would bother me enough that he's going out there and he's snitching on them. But it wasn't like he wasn't, you know, flesh and blood. He was still their brother. He was still blood. And yet, it didn't make any difference. They they hated him. And, and you see that frustration. It starts to build and build and build. And so we see in Genesis 37 how much they hate him. And then it builds into jealousy. And so we're going to be reading verses 5 11 of of chapter 37 and we see this this jealousy this hatred this bitterness and this is what it says in 37 starting in verse 5 now joseph had a dream when he told it to his brothers they hated him even more he said to them hear this dream that i've dreamed Behold, we're binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. What we see here, verse 11 says it. They were jealous of him. And this is sadly a problem in many relationships in our families, our our churches, and our workplaces. I think that's why James 4, 1 through 2 says this, and let's throw it up here for you guys to see. And it says this, what causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so here's one of the realities of jealousy. We don't usually get get jealous uh, of someone who's in a different career, in, in a different season of life, it, it's usually in the time that we're, we're jealous of someone who's doing uh, our thing, is doing your thing, in, in a similar field in some capacity, in, in a similar season uh, of life. When a person's at work in that role that's very clear or very similar to yours, we can tend to get more annoyed uh, of them, uh, I've seen it with uh, mother jealousy. You know, look what they're doing as a mother. Look what they're doing uh, parenting their kids. I've seen it that way. I've seen it with with possessions. Right? It's like, hey, look. You know, we're in a boating area, you know, if, if I'm a, bo- a person who has my boat, and I have this little fishing boat, and I can't get it started, and I'm working on it, I'm trying to dock it, or, or get it near the dock so I can take it out, and then I see someone ride by with their brand new boat, and it's working great, I may be like, oh man, must be nice, right? Must be nice for you to have that. I mean, I think about it in different, different careers, maybe school teachers, People speaking bad against that other teacher or salesman. And if we don't guard our hearts, it will destroy us and our relationships. I love how it said, jealousy is a monster that eats up everyone in its path. You know, there's a story, a Greek mythology of this man. He's an athlete and and he is lost to his rival. And so here he is, he's lost his rival. They actually make a statue in the town square of his rival to honor him as an athlete. And so he decides at night he's going to go out and he's going to chisel around the base of this, of this statue. So then when a strong wind comes through, he'll push it over. So he goes in there and he starts chiseling away. And then a wind blows and it falls on him and kills him. And the story goes like that because jealousy is self-destructive. It, it rarely ruins the object. It instead destroys the jealous person by, by robbing them of reason, uh, of satisfaction. As, as William Penn says, the jealous are troublesome to others, but a torment to themselves. You know, we, those who are jealous, yeah, they do bother people. But, but really, the greatest pain and the greatest torment is for the one who's jealous. And it's very rare for someone to ever admit it. In all my years of ministry or working with other pastors, it, it's not that common that someone says, hey, I'm really struggling with something. Okay, let's see what it is. Is it this, this, this? I'm, I'm struggling with jealousy. People don't like to admit it. People don't like to say, yeah, I'm, I'm really jealous of my sister, or my brother. They tend to just have everything working out for them. Yeah, I am jealous of this person. Their career has just worked out and I don't even feel like I know my career yet. Or yeah, I am jealous of them. Look at their kids. Look how well behaved they are. Look at their family, how they seem so united and so, so grateful, and their kids love Jesus. Or, or, or look at them, they just they get to travel all the time, or they get to enjoy life, and, and here I am still on the grind. People don't like to admit it, but jealousy is a real thing. It's a very real thing. And Joseph's brothers, they were jealous to the side of hatred, and so in so much depth of hatred that that they wanted him to die. They didn't want to, to celebrate Joseph's success, Joseph's leadership, Joseph's dreams. They, they didn't want to say, oh, maybe God's working through this young man. And that jealousy was boiling up that they eventually wanted him to to die. And so so here is how it goes. And um, the story goes like this, that they they had planned for him to to be killed and take his coat and and make it seem like he was killed by a wild animal when he was pasturing the flock. And and so we see in in Genesis 37 that, that even the older brother Reuben, he steps in when he sees this plot And he actually looks to save him. So they throw him in a pit. And when they throw him in a pit, and they don't lay their their hands on him just yet, that they see uh, uh, some Ishmaelites coming by. And and they sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels, because they didn't want to have blood on their hand. And so they sent him off. Then he went on this caravan. He went to Egypt as a slave, and he ended up in the home of Potiphar. And Potiphar was a pretty important guy, and he was in a place where he was uh, kind of a, like a, one of the main guards for the pharaoh. He was the captain of the guards, so, so he kind of organized everything for them, and so he had a lot of prominence. But here he ends up in his home, and we see how God's providential control continues, even though the brothers try to kill him. We see that God's providential control followed him over these next 13 years. And in that, even though with Potiphar, his wife made his life pretty difficult as well. She she claimed, she kind of tried to come on to him. And then when he declined, she cried rape. And so here he, he's thrown into prison. Which is interesting because it, it makes you think that Potiphar knew his wife and knew how promiscuous she was because that would have been the death of him. So he just throws him into prison. But we see in Genesis 39, verse 21, it says this, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So even in the midst of all this, being hated by his brothers and almost killed, but then sold as a slave and then went into Potiphar's home. And then Potiphar's wife messed everything up, so he was thrown into prison. Even in the midst of all that, it said, the Lord was with Joseph. It just again shows his providential control in all of this. And through a series of events... Joseph was able to interpret the dreams of the Pharaoh. And maybe some of you have heard this story many, many times, and we could spend an entire 20-week series on this. There's this chapter after chapter of this story but but in this the, the Pharaoh's having these dreams and Joseph interprets the dreams that there's this great famine coming so they're supposed to save for seven years because they're going to have great famine for seven years and, and because of that the Pharaoh he said it himself that, that can who can find a man like this who in whom the spirit of God is And, and, and then he elevated him to the second highest position in all Egypt. So then here we are, and this man, hated, almost killed, sold, a slave, in Potiphar's home, wrongly accused, prison, and now he's in the second highest position in all Egypt. And the irony is, now, the the sons and the descendants of Jacob, they got no food. So the one they tried to kill is the one that's going to keep them alive. And despite their jealous hatred and the chaos in the family, they would be the recipients of God's sovereign grace. Joseph would later say in Genesis 50, verse 20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, so we see in this story, and I wish we had more time to unpack it, but as God ruled in Joseph's circumstances that seemed chaotic and cruel, God was very much in control. as he was used, and, and, and this is the thing, I, don't, I can't fully understand why, why Joseph would be the object of hatred and cruelty um, that I, I don't wish upon anyone to experience, but God was reigning over every event and detail. And he was going to use it. And I think with us, practically speaking, the, the temptation is to ask, where is God in, in all this? Like, why would you allow such things? Why would you allow me to be abused or mistreated? Why would you allow my family to to be such a mess? Why would you allow the disease, the layoff, the the accident? Why would you allow that child to walk away? And, And these hard times, it can be very confusing. And I think about Isaiah 43 And just the the promises we have, how even God foretold of the Israelites' deliverance, sometimes we can't see the ways he's going to deliver us in this life or the next. And it says, O Jacob, he who formed you, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. And so in Joseph's story, it it reveals that God is present and working in the most chaotic and crazy circumstances. And, And he's doing that in your life too. This is not just the story of Joseph. He's working in in our most chaotic circumstance. And and the question is, do you believe that? Do you believe, and you throw it up there, your most chaotic circumstance, do you believe that God is working through that? Because he is. And so we see here the, the final thing is Christ redeeming work. In Joseph's circumstance and his experience, we have a beautiful picture of a deliverer, right? Joseph was able to deliver Israel from this famine, to feed them, to, to take care of them, to move them over to Egypt, to put them in the, in the, in the Nile Delta region, which was the most um, affluent area, the most uh, healthy area at that time. And so Joseph, he's able to be the deliverer for them and save many of them. But like Joseph, Jesus was the object of jealousy and hatred as well. The Jewish leaders, they despised him. They conspired against him to his death. And even the people, they preferred a murderous Barabbas to him. Like Joseph, Jesus came looking For his people, like a shepherd, to gather the wandering into his fold of eternal life. Like Joseph, Jesus was was despised and rejected. Like Joseph, Jesus was exalted, given a royal robe and authority as he rose up and is now seated at the right hand of God. You know, this week we had flip camp. Anyone here? Serve at Flip Camp. Yes, we had a bunch of people. If you got kids, grandkids, get them to Flip Camp next year. Get them there. If you didn't serve, serve, because it was amazing. And for some reason, they, they had me as a host. Thank you, Cassie. I was the host. I was the crazy guy, right? And, and we had this one uh, one night where we had these, uh, it, w- it was awesome. We had these lifesavers, right? Right? We had these uh, lifesavers that that the kids could take home. And we had these uh, lifesavers that we could could hold on to. And these these blow-up donuts that they got to take and remember that Christ was the greatest lifesaver for us. And we played games and we spoke and we sang songs. And to be able to look into children's eyes and to share the gospel and to see them getting excited about Jesus. There's very few things that are more moving than looking out and seeing kids singing the name of Jesus in the world that we're in right now. It's just mind-blowing to look out and they're talking how Jesus is making waves, right? He's making waves, and we're dancing and doing all the dance, and the Michael Jackson moves and all that. And, um, and really, it made me think that we are all in need of that lifesaver in our life. We all are in need of a deliverer. And maybe you've never realized the famine or recognized the, the the missing piece in your life, but that's Jesus, and that's what Jesus has done for us. The band's going to be coming up here, and um, Joseph's story is a clear example that God can work magnificently despite ourselves. And, and I just want to encourage you guys as I put my table back here. I get it. We got some messed up families. We got got some things going on. We got some skeletons. But nothing is greater to overcome that than the hope of Jesus. No illness, no disease, no sin struggle is greater than the power of the Holy Spirit. And and here we are, it's Fourth of July weekend and freedom, right? One of my favorite verses is for freedom that Christ set us free. And he wants to free us from some of these things. He wants to set us free from the things that just keep overcoming us. And what's stronger thing to challenge us than, than struggle and dissension and division in family? So hold on to these stories from Adam and Eve to Joseph. Even in all the chaos, God is able to use it and use it for his good. And he was always